Hey there, Overgrowth listeners. This is Rich, uh, your host. Um, yeah, so sorry about last week. Uh, been crazy busy uh, with the season starting up and uh, my job, and we're doing tons of tons and tons of projects uh, and getting the wedding area staged and everything else. And um, at my job, and uh, yeah, so it's. It's going. It'll be a while before I can do like a full, full episode of me. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. So just want to give a quick update. Garden's going good. Uh, lost a chicken to disease, I believe. Um, I don't know what though. Uh, it was separate. It was isolated from the other chickens uh, for other damages. But uh, it was healing and it healed up pretty good. And I thought it was good. And uh, yeah, turns out it wasn't. So. Uh, down to four chickens now, um, and hopefully it'll be good. I'm getting, uh, I'm doing some wood chips with them uh, as a run, as to put over their run and that stuff. And I got, uh, I got some other stuff I'm doing too. So can't wait to give you guys an update. But I just wanted to introduce our uh, podcast guest, uh, um, Kevin Schmitty Smith. Uh, pretty, he's a pretty good guy worked with them for a very long time and uh well a short time but it was good enough that we know each other so uh yeah so just wanted to introduce him and hope you guys enjoy hello hey how's it going hey richie what's going on man not much just hanging out uh yeah been doing a uh, podcast, working on school and everything. How about yourself? Nice, man. That sounds awesome. A uh, bit good. Just uh, diving pretty heavy into the farming season. Uh, yeah, things are uh, crazy already, and I'm already losing sleep. So that means that uh, <laughs> that means things are good. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, how's your um, how's your homestead coming? Uh, homestead's coming good. Um, I don't, I'm not sure last time we chatted, I don't know if I told you, I took a farm manager position at uh, Old Frog Pond Farm, like right next to where I live. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I'm not, they approached me over the winter. Um, so I had worked there for about, I'd worked there for about four seasons and then kind of took some time off doing construction. And uh, they approached me this winter and were like, hey, like, we're not sure if you'd be interested in coming back. And I was like, yeah, dude, like, <laughs> like, don't don't twist my arm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, so I've been manage helping manage that and um, all the while doing kind of my own thing over here on our homestead. But uh, kind of trying to kind of combine forces and kind of all eventually have it all tangled into one kind of unit, so to speak. Um, so yeah, kind of working in that direction. That's awesome. And um, last time I think we chatted, I don't. Did you um? Did, did you end up getting any livestock? Or um, I know you mentioned something about that before. Uh, yeah, I haven't. I haven't gotten. I haven't got there yet. Um, like I said, with with next door and just starting that, and 
kind of diving in over there. Um, I know I definitely want to get chickens, but that's just been one more project that I yeah. have yet to fully be able to dive into. Yeah. Um, as you know, it's like the more you take on, you're like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And it is overwhelming. Yeah. You just get a little inundated after a while. Um, yeah. But I do plan. Yeah, we do plan on getting chickens. Um, that's probably going to be uh, probably in June. I'll probably get uh, some. I don't think we're going to do egg layers this year. Probably just do meat birds. Um, and just have them run around like part of my backfield that I tilled up and I'm trying to have a garden in behind our house. The soil is just really depleted, just clay, just hasn't had any life in it for a while. So uh, the, plan, the plan is to try to um, grow half of it. I trucked in a lot of compost, so I'm growing in half of it. And the other half I have cover cropped. And I'm going to just have the chickens run around that all summer and all fall and um, use that delicious, use that awesome fertilizer yeah. from the chickens. And uh, yeah, that's the plan for the yard. Eventually the long-term plan is to try to get more of a regenerative kind of system up here where I would like to, after the apple picking is done at the orchard next door, yeah, I, I want to have chickens that I could actually move over into the orchard and let them run in between the rows and along the trees and kind of just fertilize that area end of season um, because they're because they're organically certified. There's like limits on how often or when you can have animals. Yeah, uh, nearby as I'm sure you know. So once we close the orchard. In middle October, I could just run chickens over there and have them go through in little, little remote kind of homes. Uh, have them do that for a couple of weeks. So that's kind of the long term plan that I'm kind of working towards. But I gotta get some chickens first before that even happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. And um, yeah. So I just wanted to like, interview you about like farming, your experiences, and that stuff. Um. And and just to see like where you came from. So like how what got you into farming, and the, like the homestead lifestyle. Um, so that was probably when we moved out here to Massachusetts. Um, my wife and I moved out from upstate New York. Uh, she was from Long Island. I was from Albany, and we moved out here. We were living in an apartment. I had always like had a garden with my dad. So we always had a small little plot, you know, like cucumbers, tomatoes, just the basic stuff. And when we moved into our apartment in Framingham, uh, my wife found Stern's farm, which was a CSA in Framingham. And she was like, Hey, like we could go do a work for share. We could work for four hours and get a full shares worth of food. And me not shying away from, you know, me rather enjoying the physical labor aspect of it. I was like, yeah, that makes total sense. So I went and did one work for share. Uh, loved it. And I asked her if she was looking for full-time help. Um, she said she was, but she was in the process of kind of already hiring a couple guys. Um, two guys who 
I'm still friends with to this day. Uh, Kenneth was one of them, and you know Kenneth. Oh so, yeah. So that's just a that's an indicator there of how far back uh, I've known Kenneth. <laughs> um, so that was part of our history. I met him there, and uh, I just honest I was like, you know what? This is something I definitely want to do, and. I went online and just happened to get on Craigslist to look for work. And I was like, let me see if there's any farm jobs. And I found uh, Silverwood Organic Farm next town over from Framingham, a couple towns over. And they had put an ad on Craigslist and I saw it, found where the farm was, drove over there and just talked to the farm manager and immediately told him like, I'm working here. Like I'm, I'm going to work here. Like, when can I start? <laughs> and he was like, uh, Monday, I guess. So he didn't have any help yet. So I was like, good, I'll be here on Monday. Um, so that was my start kind of into farming on uh, kind of a full-time basis. Um, and then, so I did that. I was working there, was doing a work for share on Saturdays. So I was farming like six days a week already, which Right out the gate, I was already on the heavy, you know, farmer's schedule. Yeah. Um, but I just, I loved it. Um, it was great. It was a veggie farm. We did a CSA. By the end of my season there, I had a really big interest in apples because I got into cider making or hard cider making. Um, I My wife had just got me one of those cheap, kind of kits that you do and I made it and I was like oh I could get into this so I just looked around and was looking for organic fruit so I typed in a google search for organic fruit organic apples in Massachusetts and two places popped up uh, old frog pond farm in Harvard Mass which was about a half hour north and bear swamp uh, cidery and orchard which is out by I think Ashfordham way out in western mass so that one was a little too far but um, they make great cider though I can't recommend them enough if anybody's out in that direction um, but yeah I just shot uh, old frog pond farm an email said hey I'm really interested in what you guys are doing like I want to come check it out and just came up to the farm met the owners had a good vibe with them and that kind of kept me up here at Old Frog Pond Farm. Like they do, um, we do organic apples, raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, Asian pears. Um, we do a little bit of everything. And uh, we do a little bit of vegetable production on the side. They don't do any animals. Uh, but I've been there for a while now. Like I said, I was there for about four seasons. And all the while I was still helping out at other farms, um, Van Garden, uh, CSA, which where I met you, Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of brings in people from all over. And, uh, Kenneth from Stearns and, uh, Susan Peters, who used to be the farm manager at Stearns, they had always talked about Yoder, like he's great. Like he's like the guru, like he's like the vegetable grower around here. So, yeah he's like pretty he's so well known so uh through kenneth and susan my connections i even when working at old frog pond farm i would uh still go and try to help chris out um you know like a day a week or something or in the winter when he would have like a winter share um and i learned a lot from chris he 
knows how to put out an amazing product with such like a skeleton crew and like such little infrastructure. It's amazing <laughs> to, yeah. see, to see what he can do. So, uh, yeah, man. So I've kind of floated around at different farms and uh, tried to gain a little bit of knowledge here and there. Um, and like I said, I took a break from farming for three years full time. Uh, like I said, I was working construction uh, just to kind of make a little bit of money and gain another skill set, which would come in handy. Um, all the while, I was still working with Chris Yoder and working here and there. Um, and now, like I said, I'm back up here, uh, up in Harvard, right on the other side of the pond from the farm. So it's a, it's a real tough commute now. I can either walk down the road or kayak across the pond to work in the morning. So tra traffic is tough now, especially with all the geese coming back. So the kayaking's uh, really rough. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, that's your preferred me. choice. Uh, so far, I've just—it's only been warm enough. I've only done the kayak. <clears throat> excuse me, I've only done the kayak once, um, but the kayak is uh, very peaceful. I—I I don't really. I feel like the problem is when I kayak, I don't really want to get to work very quickly. <laughs> like once I'm in the water relaxing, I'm like, you know, just had my coffee and it's like, man, now I'm just kind of vibing out. And yeah. It's like, I don't really want to, I kind of just want to float around the water for a little bit. <laughs> so it is a, uh, it is nice having that option though. As it, as it gets warmer up in the kind of nice, cool summer mornings, that'll be really nice to kind of float over to work in the morning. So looking forward to that for sure. <laughs> yeah, man. Sounds great. Uh, what do you guys, so what, uh, what do you, um, what do you guys do? Are you, so you guys are probably doing like, when, uh, do you guys have any planted, anything planted now? Or are you guys doing like prep stuff in the field? Yeah. So I've got, so we have a hoop house, um, about, uh, about 50 by 25, about 50 by 20. Um, feet. So we've got a whole bunch of greens, uh, early season greens. That's a big, uh, that's a big push for us early season. So we do a whole kind of smorgasbord, a little bit of everything. We do some mescaline greens, um, some arugula, some baby lettuce. And we actually overwintered last year, a bunch of leeks in the hoop house. So we've had a good bit of product very early. Um, and we just opened up our farm stand uh, last week, actually. So at the farm, uh, the owners live there as well, and they have a self-pay farm stand. So anybody can just stop by paying cash or Venmo, um, which Venmo has been great for that um, easy way to track everything. Um, and most people seem to have Venmo now, so that also is kind of nice. Yeah. So that works out great. Um, so, yeah, we've got early season stuff growing, some overwintered leeks, um, and I've been out in the fields. I've got some stuff out in the fields under row covers, um, lettuce, baby kale. Uh, customers really love that. Spinach. Um, I, have, I haven't tried spinach I tried it once a few years ago and didn't do too well in the hoop house. So I'm giving that another shot out in the field. Um, what else we got out there? 
I have some direct seeded carrots that are under row cover and a little slow to germinate in the colder months. I feel like I, I wish I had gotten row cover or like that plastic kind of solarized it a little more first yeah. to get a little better germination from the carrots. Um, so I just did a floating row cover, probably not enough because they've been uh, slow to germinate. Um, but that's kind of a note for next year or next time. Um, and then I just transplanted a bunch of onions and some brassicas. That's broccoli, cabbage, kale, um, some cauliflower. And I'm trying to think, I think that's about it for that field so far. Um, oh, and some potatoes as well. Um, Blaze, Blaze and I really appreciate the uh, potato harvest. That's the Irishman in me that I uh, really <laughs> like some potatoes. They are a lot of work though. And um, sometimes we go back and forth if they're totally worth, uh, kind of worth the efforts. Um, you definitely yeah. don't make, unless you're growing a ton or you have them booked for a CSA, you definitely don't make a lot off them. So I think the potatoes are kind of more so for, uh, they're kind of more so for us at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never, um, I've never had luck with potatoes. I, I, like I've never had the room for them. Um, mm. I've always had to try them. I tried them one year in a, um, in a big uh, trash bin that I drilled holes into. And um, I just kept trying to do that method where I kept filling it up with the dirt um, mm -hmm. over time. And uh, I got some potato, uh, some potatoes out of it. Um, not really much of a yield, but uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those, you need like an operation kind of like Chris, where you like basically where you have to have rows of it and that stuff to make, to get all to, to really make it. Um, but even then, I don't know how much you would make off of potatoes if, if you just had that. Yeah, it's tough. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I've heard of people do it. I, I've heard of that method like you did with uh, doing the trash can, but I'd never heard how well people had done with it. I know people have also built like potato boxes too. Yeah. Kind of, you know, wood and just kind of bringing it up right. A friend of mine did it that way and said it does get, he said he got a decent yield off it. Um, but yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It's kind of like you need to have rows and rows and rows and machinery. And even then, like at, at, with Chris Yoder, we're still uh, we're still hands and knees digging through the dirt. And yeah. there, there are some times where it was like, man, we're not getting anything out of this row. It just seems like it's such a labor suck. Yeah. But but they are uh, they are tasty. I think I think for. For what Chris is doing, though, like it's part of the CSA, people come to expect having some potatoes, sweet potatoes and uh, white potatoes. So I feel like that's a good draw. Um, it's like something I feel like people kind of expect to have. How we're yeah. doing it, like I said, we don't do we're, – we're not doing a CSA. Um, I'd like to try to maybe move in that direction of where we can have – um, a better product for either a CSA, maybe a farmer's market in the future, but things are kind of saturated. I'd love to get linked up with like a wholesale, like either a restaurant or a kind of like a market or something. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, like the way we do it to just put bags of potatoes at the farm stand, I mean, you know, it's like a five pound bag is like nothing. It's like three bucks. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like, it's like you're barely making anything. So 
you know, we have some, we sell some at the stand, but I think that's mostly a, it's mostly a labor intensive labor of love. That's kind of like, yeah, we're doing this just so uh, we can have potatoes all winter, um, which is totally fine with me because I pretty much live off meat and potatoes and uh, whiskey in the winter months anyway. So comes it comes in handy to have a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, and you, so do you guys have a root cellar too, or? Uh, yeah, we have. Um, next door, they yeah, they have like a really really old farmhouse. Um, so they kind of have like a makeshift root cellar. Um, it's kind of like a boiler room where it's kind of kind of had an old window that was kind of sealed somewhat to the outside and. In the winter, it gets cold enough in there that it actually keeps uh, keeps most of our crops like pretty well, pretty well intact. Um, we usually have potatoes in there that last all year, um, onions and uh, some carrots and stuff like that. So, I'd like to build. I'd like to kind of make a root cellar in my basement here, because um, our house is pretty old too. And same thing, we have a kind of where the oil tank goes to the outside, there's a little window that's kind of haphazardly blocked off. So I feel like in the winter, if I wanted to build a little room there and close it off and kind of insulate it in a little bit so it wouldn't come into the rest of the basement. I don't know. I'm still kind of toying with it, but uh, yeah, it'd be nice to uh, have those storage crops for the winter time. I feel like that's the way to go. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been trying to, I have like a makeshift like cellar that's uh, that stays pretty cold in um, in my house, and I was thinking about making that into like kind of like a uh, makeshift root cellar for seed to see if crops will stay. Um, I know it was used as a pantry before, but I don't know if it'll, if it gets cold enough to keep crops over winter. But um, that's going to be my experiment for this winter, so we'll see. Yeah, man. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> some basement, like I said, some basements. Um, I don't know if. Yeah, I don't think a, uh, I don't know if a, if you could even run like an air conditioner or something in there to get it kind of colder, but at that point you're starting to use a lot of, uh, you're starting to use a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just keep them, just keep them covered, whatever you do. I know, uh, I have mice issues here and they do next door. So keeping everything oh. covered so the mice don't get to them is, uh, is critical. <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, I've had my battles with mice. I've, um, I have, uh, so I have chickens and I've had the, I have some hens and I, I have five now. Um, I lost two over, um, over the winter to, uh, some really, uh, crafty raccoons. Um, I thought I, I, I thought I got the coop all, uh, like, uh, boarded up and that stuff in raccoon proof, but, uh, yeah, they got in and I lost two and I got, um, the place that I get my chickens from sell them in pairs of three. So I, I ended up getting uh, three more and making five and they, the mice just love, they just love trying to get into their feed. Like I have metal buckets and I just see them on, um, I have a backyard camera that I use and I, they just, they're all trying to get into it. And um, I've had my battles with them and I'm hoping that uh, there's a lot of hawks and owls recently near the, um, conservation land near where i live so i'm hoping that they do their job and they take care of them <laughs> mm -hmm. 
That or it sounds like you need some more. You need some cats, man. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I'm trying. I I have a dog, but my uh, I'm allergic to cats, and I'm going for these uh, these immunotherapy shots to try to get because I I love cats. I love them, but it's mm-hmm. I, I sneeze like twenty four seven. Yeah, it's tough, man. <laughs> yeah. I know the uh, cats are that's the cats are a good indicator for the mice. Although I say that and my cats in my house now they they went after the first like two mice. Like I they brought them into the uh, bathtub in my downstairs bathroom and I just found, you know, two mouse two mice in there. I was like, all right, cool. Like not cool that we have mice, but you know, my cats are doing their cat thing and their due diligence. And then the next one they got, I uh, heard them in the bathtub kind of rustling around, and I was like, oh, they got another mouse. So then I left to work, and I came home, and the mouse the mouse was still alive, like, in the bathtub, just, like, freaked out. I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing? So I feel like my cats just, they got lazy, and they're like, you know what? If we kill this thing, there goes our toy, and there goes our fun. Yeah. So... The, after that, they got another mouse too, and from then on, all they did was just kind of brought it to the bathtub, played with it, and we're just like, "Nah, we're gonna leave this. We're gonna leave them alone." And I'm just like, "Dude, you guys are fired. <laughs> <laughs> like you have you have one job to do, and you're just like, no, nah, we don't we don't want to do that anymore. That's that's our toy. So they've been they've been demoted. They're not as helpful with the mice, <laughs> unfortunately." Oh, that, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, how how old are your cats? Uh, so Ramus, uh, Ramus is about nine years old, and then Sammy is seven, I think now, almost almost eight actually. Um, so we've had them for a while, but they definitely they've gone from apartment living to apartment living to now finally being in a big house where they have stairs and multiple rooms to run around and terrorize. So they've been, they've been loving it up here. Actually, I think I'm, there's a couple turkeys kind of walking around my house right now. Actually, one of my cats is kind of eyeballing them pretty good. So <laughs> we got a couple, couple resident turkeys that like wandering around our driveway. So oh. I know. I've I've had my battles with turkeys. They're they're crazy, and I gotta say, they're I so I, I've had them in my, in my backyard, and for some reason, they always like to try to hang out with my chickens, and mm-hmm. they just make the biggest mess around like turkey. <laughs> and it's, even um, I just took a so I have a new job. Um, I was uh, after Yoder's in the fall. I got a job in the cannabis industry. Um, Oh, nice. and, yeah, well, it it was nice at first. It was a, and then it uh, it, it kind of fell off later on. Um, I I found out the industry is not as cracked up as I thought it was uh, to be, especially mm. for uh, for growers. Um, and it's I I think I just came in too early for it. Um, it's not. It doesn't really seem like farming to me. It more seems like industrial, like pushing stuff out over and over um mm-hmm. but i just got another job at um i'm doing a horticulture manager for blue hills country club just to get um you know i'm still going for my bachelor's and i'm finishing that up this year and i just wanted something to get me 
some money while I'm uh, I'm supposed to be helping Chris this year, hopefully. So maybe I'll see you around um, there too. Uh, but at the country club, they turkeys are everywhere. They are they it, it's it, it like they I they come around and it's funny because some of the they they're very territorial. I found out and they try to like and they're not scared of these golfers, especially in the golf carts too like mm-hmm. they're not scared of them like they'll like they'll come right up to you and chase you <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because like i like i know how to kind of like deal with the turkeys but i'm like seeing these people that are going golfing and i'm like they they're, they're just like i get complaints from people saying yeah there's turkeys chasing us on the on like the ninth hole or something and i'm like they're i mean i'm like okay i, I don't know what you want me to do about it but <laughs> <laughs> yeah right it's sounds like it's like the turkeys like outnumber the golfers at that point <laughs> yeah. uh, damn dude yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. uh, so that's uh so you so you liking it over there what's like your role there like what are you what are you in charge of so i uh i'm just in charge of uh the flower beds really um as uh the flower beds and pests and management um i like to say i got the um the bill murray package uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, uh, I'm not really doing greens, which I never really was a greens guy. Um, but I met this dude uh, over there from my, um, you know, I was in kind of, after I left the cannabis industry, I was kind of like, I was trying to get back into farming and there was a lot of places, but I kind of, you know, with the bills are stacking up and I needed something that, um, that paid a good amount. And, um, it was, they, you know, they were looking for a horticulture manager just to handle the flower beds, uh, plant flowers, irrigation, um, just to make the place look pretty, um, basically. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, um, they offered me good hours and, and pay, and I thought it was something to do, at a, like another part-time job while I do my farming and that stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm doing that. Uh, just basically trimming roses and planting rose bushes. I just planted some hydrangeas and um, transplanted some. Uh, um, what are the other ones I transplanted? Um, just some wild grasses and um, some trees they're putting in now, and just getting like edging beds, just uh, simple landscaping stuff. Um, which is, uh, I mean, it's good. It pays the bills, so and it gives me experience with that too. Um, but yeah, it's good. yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's good. I never knew. I never really was a golfer. I'm not. I'm still not a golfer. Um, but I never knew how much like they're like taking care of the greens. Like it's not. Um, it's not my cup of tea. I'm more of like an organic type of uh grower and organic like yeah philosophy. Um, they're it's more. They're more of like um conventional, like taking care of the greens, fertilizer, herbicides, insecticides, and that stuff. But um, I never knew like there's a whole degree field for farmers that want to do take care of greens, like for agriculture people that want to take care of like uh like that stuff. And I'm like I I never really considered that agriculture, but you're just growing grass, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gotta be that's gotta be very pristine grass, though. <laughs> yeah, that's gotta be super good. No, that's 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 interesting. I um I actually worked on a golf course, uh, for two years for two summers in between college, um, doing yeah doing golf course maintenance. I was just 
mowing and taking care of the bunkers and doing a little bit of everything. And I feel like that was, uh, that was also kind of a time in my life that I feel like was very influential, like just being outside in the sun every day in the summer. I was like, dude, this is great. Like, I like totally want to work outside. Like, you know, meanwhile, I'm like going to college for, you know, like an office type kind of field or job, which I'm clearly not doing now. <laughs> but yeah, I did that for a couple of summers, just mowing and, you know, it was super chill, like hung with a bunch of guys, like everybody kind of, everybody smoked and like, you could just like go mow grass a little bit, smoke a little bit and put your headphones in and just kind of chill out and drive on the mower all day. Um, I don't know. There's some, there's something, there's something really nice as, as much as I don't, I'm, I'm totally a grow food, not lawns kind of person, but there is something so nice and nostalgic about the smell of like fresh cut grass. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know if you share that sentiment, but there's something so nice about it. <laughs> I do. It's, uh, it, it's, I, yeah, I, I can't describe, like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just like, especially when like you, when it's like right after, like when it rains the night before and it's like the dew yep. and, and I'm like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just magical, really. <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard to describe besides people who just like kind of get it. Like, it's just like, yeah, you just like mow. I don't know. Like you said, you get a nice fresh cut. Everything looks so neat and clean. And yeah, there's just, like I said, the fresh cut grass just has it's always had just like a great scent to me like i feel like even i would go i would work at the golf course all all day and i would come home and then i would like look forward to like i would look forward to mowing my own lawn like most people you go to work you know whether it's you're cooking all day or you know whatever it is you're doing carpentry whatever it is usually you do that for like eight hours you come home you're like yeah i'm good like i'm so burnt out I would come yeah. home and be like, you know what? Like, I'm looking forward to mowing my lawn at home. That's how, like, much I enjoyed this. But wasn't much of, a, like, a career thing. But I, uh, like I said, for those couple summers, it was great. Like, I had a really good time. So, yeah, I think it definitely pushed me to be like, man, being outside is, like, where it's at in the summertime. It really is. And that's kind of, like, what drove me. Um, that was one of, like, the deciding, uh, deciding factors that kind of drove me from the cannabis industry to something else because in that industry it's for some reason you they don't want outdoor farms for some reason i i don't know it's like they make like they make excuses about like pollination stuff and and that stuff and i'm like it's people have been growing that plant for thousands of years outside mm-hmm and I'm, and I don't know. It just seems like they it seems like a lot of politics, really, um, and that stuff in that industry. Um, but it, it's kind of like none of it was like it was all indoors, no windows, um, type of like indoor growing. And I just kind of like it kind of pushed me from that, um, and it kind of refound. Um, I think I told you before about my dream about having a, like owning like a homestead and like trying to live off the land and sell in a farm, like a, on a farm stand and that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, I modified it. So I want to have, 
I want to be the first person to have a, a cannabis CSA. Wow, that'd be great, man. But it's not like uh, I want to, for some reason, I have this weird thing where I feel like I could put like, I could do like a vegetable CSA and uh, that includes like um, eggs and in and that stuff and uh some animal products but also have you know for um you know for 21 plus and that stuff for like have like a cannabis csa too if they wanted that and i and, and it's a pipe dream now but i that's the i think that's the goal i'm going to go for in my future yeah i hope so dude i uh, i look forward to the days where i feel like smaller growers can get into it because like you said i think now it's it's definitely dominated by big business and industry especially here in massachusetts um but i don't yeah i don't know about too many i don't know about a lot of indoor or outdoor grows here but uh a friend of mine who i was talking to yesterday he's a uh, he's a consultant right now for getting new dispensaries opened up here in Massachusetts. And we were talking about kind of regenerative ag and, you know, kind of what my goals are here. And he was telling me that there's actually a really big push in the cannabis industry to have more like regenerative agriculture, like outdoor, like growing operations. So it's probably not happening here in mass. It doesn't sound like, but I feel like places like California and Colorado have been doing it for a while. I think uh, from the sounds of it, there's a push to get more cannabis, like get more cannabis grows outside in the dirt and have it incorporate, you know, more um, animals or just more carbon sequestration kind of techniques. So yeah. Maybe it's, you can maybe you can bring that to Massachusetts, dude. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, it's nothing about the industry right now in Massachusetts is sustainable. It's um, like when I when I pulled up into this into this um, into like grow place, it was like they had the electricity this this place uses. It like and they would pump. They wouldn't. Um, they they couldn't use organic substances for some reason. They were. Uh, they were totally against using organic fertilizers and that stuff. And they would just pump it with, uh, it's also hydroponics too. Everybody is on like a hydroponics kick, uh, for some reason. Um, I'm a, I'm a soil guy, uh, mm -hmm. but, no, uh, same, same here, man. 100%. Yeah. It's, it just, it's just so much work. It's just unneeded work for hydroponics. It's they, they pump it with so much chemicals, um, like the chemical fertilizers they use. And also, I've seen what that like with the chemical fertilizers, like I've seen what it does to like, if you get some on your skin and that stuff and it just burns people. <laughs> yeah. I bet. It's um, yeah. I, I didn't last. I, I lasted about two months there. Um, I didn't last too long. It's just, they, it's not, um, but they screwed. It's, uh, I found out the one reason why there wasn't too many outdoor farms is the money aspect too. But the CCC is like the overhead um, people that control it. Um, I call them kind of like a mafia type of thing going on um, mm -hmm. with them, but they, they kind of screwed over outdoor growers for this little thing I learned of called a microbial content. And um, basically when you harvest your flower at the end and you 
process it and you cure it, um, that you have to send it out for testing to make sure there's no um, harmful stuff in the bud. Um, and they set the microbial, they, they basically want sanitized cannabis and they set the microbial content. So uh, that only out that outdoor farmers, it's impossible to get that content because to get the numbers down because you're growing outdoors. There's going to be microbe. There's going to be microbes there. It's in the soil. It's in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works. They, they kept saying that, you know, if it has this amount of microbes, it can't be used safely. But I'm like all these other States, like, as you said before, are like they have outdoor farms and they're getting into regenerative agriculture with it. And I'm like, how are they passing in the other States, but they can't pass here. You know, right? Yeah, that's interesting. I I get the. It definitely seems like it's uh, it's definitely like I said, money. It's definitely money driven here. I would say the uh, like you said the CCC. If it if it kind of feels like a mob kind of situation, it's probably a good way to describe it. Um, yeah. You know, it's like the indoor grows. It is the kind of you put it a good way the sanitized cannabis that's just the most profitable way of doing it really so and uh, you know unfortunately i can't fortunately here in massachusetts i feel like because cannabis is just so new and so popular i mean i, I go in framingham to i still work at uh, trader joe's part-time and i feel like every time i go i see another dispensary pop up on route nine so yeah. it's getting huge and i think uh I think kind of like craft beer and like other stuff, like after things aren't so new anymore, like profits will kind of come down a little bit from all these places just by pure competition. And then at that point, I think hopefully we'll start to see more like, you know, biodynamic or organic or kind of regenerative kinds of marijuana that is pushed just because growers will be like, all right, how do we differentiate our product from somebody else's? And you'd be like, Oh, like ours is, you know, ours is regenerative or grown outside or something. Hopefully that'll push, you know, push it outside a little bit and maybe push the, uh, push the uh, CCC to kind of change their, their rules a little bit. But yeah, hopefully it's, yeah, yeah, I, it, it's kind of like um, I feel like they kind of screwed over the small farmers, you know, because like they had a harvest last year. And I was, I was reading an article in the Boston Globe and it said that not one outdoor farm passed testing this year, like in 2020. And I'm and I was shocked because I'm like, these farmers work their their asses off, really, uh, to pr- grow this product. And they work seven days a week. The owners and that stuff even longer. 20, it's a 24 hour day job really um, to make sure that everything's going right. And um, they kind of like, they harvested and everything and they went to go test and they're like, yeah, no, you can't sell it. And I'm like, so they like, like you just, you just ruined their livelihood basically. Yeah. That's really, yeah, that really sucks. Now is that for, was that mostly like hemp and like, CBD growers is that like outdoor THC too? Outdoor THC. Apparently, there's a couple farms. There's uh, there's like two or three, and there. Um, I also found it 
like um they're none they're not around like the main part of massachusetts like what i'm talking about is like boston area like metro west mm-hmm. um, they're all like uh like uh, where near you are like Har- like there's like i think there's like one in harvard somewhere or near harvard um there's one in um i think there's one in pepperell or something and mm-hmm. um in hey in haverhill there, I, I think there's one too but they're um yeah it's i don't know it's it's definitely it's weird uh, they definitely have a lot of stuff to work on um before i think i would go back to the mm-hmm. industry but um but yeah have um now i always like to ask people this when they come on but have you had any experience growing the arab at all or uh yeah so i grew i grew cannabis at my actually at my parents house before i moved out to massachusetts um so that i had kind of a funny story that one i just kind of uh, got some clones from a friend of mine and uh i was just doing kind of a gorilla grow like i threw them in buckets on the other side of my property like abutting my neighbors and you know like i just kind of i was trying to hide them best i could um lo and behold my folks like sat me down and they're like like, you growing cannabis over there and the woods at first i was like oh no that wasn't me and they're like oh that must be eddie like our neighbor and they were like oh like i'm gonna go tip them over tomorrow and i was like i would do that and they're like oh so those are yours and i was like yeah i'm trying to grow them over there and uh my dad just laughed at me and goes huh he goes they're not gonna grow in the shade you idiot and i was like huh all right, maybe they're uh, kind of okay with this. (laughs) So uh, then I was like, all right, I'm just going to throw them in the backyard then. And uh, it was like one of those just kind of like under the radar, like don't say anything about it. Um, So I did grow it there for a season and I grew three plants. Um, Looking back, I didn't get great yields off them, but they were also clones of uh, indoor kind of sativas that probably weren't meant really good for an outdoor grow anyway. Um, But I didn't get a lot of yields, but um, after that first season, uh, that was really cool to just to kind of, just to kind of experience it. Um, Cause it, it's a beautiful plant. Like it's just so much, it's fun to grow the smell like in the fall was super intoxicating and like once you started getting the color change in the fall to having the purples and the oranges and everything, it was just fascinating. Like I used to just love going out there and checking on the plants. Um, so it was really great. Uh, and I haven't grown it since, but uh, this year at our, at our house, um, I have a few different, uh, I have a few different strains growing right now in uh, pots that I'm going to transplant outside and uh, yeah, going to do a little grow uh, at the homestead this year. So I'm pretty excited for that. A um, couple CBD strains and uh, I think what I have, I uh, don't know what I, oh, it's like uh, gelato, white widow and alien rock candy, um, peyote skittles. I don't know. Can 
it's crazy to me it's like finding seeds and seeing how many different kinds there are out there is crazy in the cannabis yeah. industry it's like it's just, I, I just feel like genetics just have gotten so crazy it's like it's um people just love making newer and newer and newer and newer stuff <laughs> yeah they do definitely get uh they get crazy i find that um i like the like I like so I'm not like a crowd. I know people were like, yeah, I, I before um, I became a grower for the company um, that I worked for, I was a PSA agent, um, patient service advocate, uh, mm-hmm. and I work and I worked retail for a, for about a month or two. And um, I always found that I, I find it funny how people because they would always come to me like I I was known as like a grower there and. I would get patients that would ask me questions and I find it funny how they all, they all try to go for the highest testing stuff. Like they, they kept asking me the same question. Like, how do you grow something to the maximum potential? And I'm like, it's, it varies from strain to strain. Like you're not going to like, and it's like, they always try to like uh, one up it. Like, I feel like they just enjoy the earth, like enjoy like, growing it and it's the and let the sun and the soil do its work kind of thing you know mm-hmm. um but genetics play a huge part into it i found uh also i got a i got a couple um i tried my first indoor uh grow la- uh earlier uh this year with an auto flower plant which uh came out to be a foot tall but it it, it had some pretty good yields um mm-hmm. And uh, I get some outdoor ones I'm going to do this year. Uh, I like the sativas, so I'm probably going to uh, – I got that Acapulco Gold and Durban Poison and that stuff. Um, awesome. Yeah. So that's what I'm probably going to be doing. Now, do you um, – uh, I'm guessing you're a flower guy, right? You don't do any – do you make concentrates or anything? Or uh, Actually, I've over the years, I've preferred concentrates to flour. Um, I find, uh, I usually, so I have a little, like I have a little, uh, Yokan dad pen, which works great. It's got like four coils in it, just kind of a handheld pen. That thing's super great. I mean, super incognito anywhere you go. Um, I've found, I, I like the flavor of, of oil or shatter, um, like I really like the intense flavor and the terps that the concentrates have um, over the flower. So I've come to really appreciate it. Um, I don't smoke as much flower really anymore, um, but I have noticed over the years like certain certain strains. Sometimes I'll smoke, and sometimes it'll give me kind of. I don't want to say anxiety, but sometimes I get kind of like panicky off certain strains, which didn't always happen. I don't know why I, I've gotten it now as a as I've gotten older. Um, but a, a, a guy, uh, Hamilton Morris, I don't know if you're familiar with his show on Vice. It's like the, uh, the something cornucopia. Um, do you watch Vice? I'll have to check it out. Viceland. Uh, Hamilton Morris, he's uh, he's like a chemist, and he's tried all these different uh, drugs, psychedelics, you name it. And from a chemist perspective, really bright dude. Um, I can't remember the name of the show. Something if you just typed in Hamilton Morris Vice, 
Um, he's super funny, really funny show. And uh, he taught me a trick one time that there's a chemical in pepper in black peppercorns that actually um, help kind of like calm you down. And so he said, he said the same thing. He's like, yeah, I, I smoke pot sometimes now. And it gives me like this, like I get like kind of anxiety from it. I get like a, my heart starts racing. And uh, so he eats a couple peppercorns and I actually tried that the last time I had that happen to me and it actually works. Like it actually like kind of calmed me down a little bit. So um, yeah, I don't know where that's come from. That's only been in like the past couple of years. But I find the high from uh, the concentrates kind of give me a different high. Um, so I actually prefer the concentrates. Um, so I'm hoping to get a like a rosin press at the end of this. If, if everything goes well um, with my plants, and I would love to press those into um, – some concentrates and maybe do some, uh, you know, butane hash oil, but trying to stay away from the butane part of it. So that's yeah. why I've been looking into like, uh, yeah, like live resin or something or something that I could press and, uh, wouldn't need any solvents, which would be really nice. I feel like that's the cleaner way. And, uh, the flavor, the flavor on those are, uh, like I said, the terpenes are, are unbelievable so and we have a i'm doing beekeeping this year too i have a hive in my backyard that a neighboring a guy who does the bees at the farm oh that's he's helping awesome. yeah it's like i'm pretty excited it's like one more you know one more project and thing to learn yeah. about um but uh i'm hoping i can get some honey and would really love to make some cannabis infused honey um or even like cbd infused honey um so that'd be really cool that's like a fun project that i hope i'll have the opportunity to do <laughs> yeah i um i actually love making infused honey that's um I, I like to make a lot of edibles because um i'm not really a smoker um i use a dryer vape but um because i have asthma and uh, the smoke always like irritates it um mm. but for some reason the dryer vape doesn't doesn't irritate it and um i've tried to do more honey uh, more infusions and edibles um and tinctures and that stuff and i found that there's a machine called the levo 2 and it, or, or the levo um they're both good machines um and it's um i think they're like around 100 bucks or something and they're they infuse um it's kind of like a keurig where you put the herb in your and honey or the herb and coconut oil or MCT oil, whatever, um, like tincture or thing you want to infuse and you put it into this little cup at the top of the machine and it infuses it for you. Hmm. Um, and it comes out at the bottom. You could put like a coffee cup or a Mason jar or something. Um, yeah, but that's awesome, man. Um, what type of bees do you have? What time? What's that? Oh, uh, what type of bees? Are they like, are they Italian uh, uh, I'm not too versed in bees, but I know there's different types. I yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, the beekeeper I work with, uh, we have bees coming in two weeks. And I believe these are, um, they're not Italian. I don't think they're Italians. Um, 
There's, uh, there's Russian, Italian. I don't know if they're French or Spanish. I'm not totally sure. I remember he, he – it's funny you mentioned that. The beekeeper that works next door, he's like – every time I see him, he's like an encyclopedia of knowledge and just likes to spitball rapid fire like all the info he knows, which the more I've been around beekeepers, the more I realize that's how a lot of them are. <laughs> they're just like <laughs> – they want to get this knowledge out. And so, yeah, he was talking about that. I think the, I think he said he's maybe ordering some Italian bees and I think that might be what's going next door um, or in my backyard, but I'm not completely sure on it. Um, like I said, I'm still pretty, I'm still pretty new to the process. Um, but I feel, I feel really bad. He had, he had 20 hives this winter and he lost all of them, but two. Oh, and, and what was, was the reason? So he said it was such a, so it was such a cold winter. Um, it wasn't even, it wasn't even that we just had like frigid, frigid cold, but we basically, we never really had like a good, like three or four days above like 50, like 50, 55 degrees. Yeah. So he was telling me that the bees really need they need a couple windows of warmth so they can leave the hive and just go to the bathroom. Basically, he, he said they don't. Bees don't like to uh, shit where they eat, so to speak. So <laughs> they won't go to the bathroom like in the hive. Um, so they need some days above like 50, 55, just so they can kind of leave, go to the bathroom, and just kind of get out and kind of like. You know, they build up moisture in there, too. And so they kind of just need to get out and just kind of, like, refresh a little bit, I think, um, and use the bathroom. So he said, yeah, he said because temperatures for so long didn't really get above freezing, um, a lot of the hives, uh, a lot of people's hives didn't make it this year, which was a, was really sad to hear because I was thinking about the fruit trees, and the fruit trees need to have so many, they call them like cold hours. Yeah. So they, fruit trees need to have so many hours below, I think it's 40 degrees, um, 45 degrees to have an adequate fruit set. Um, so meanwhile, I was thinking all winter, like, oh, it stayed nice and cold. We didn't have really any high temps that might cause the trees to start waking up any earlier. So... You know, like I was like, oh, great. Like the fruit trees did well. Hopefully this was a good winter. And yeah, come to find out it was a terrible year for these. So like I said, I feel bad for uh, Don is the name of the beekeeper. And after building up all those hives, you know, all the way up to 20 hives, now he's got to start like almost from scratch. So that's oh, been uh, that's been a uh, bit of a bummer. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's actually crazy. I've, I've wanted to try beekeeping. It's, I, I don't have much room here. So it's, it, uh, the, the, I always say like, I could do one type of fowl and I could do bees. That's, it, those are the only two things I can do. <laughs> and, uh, I, um, 
I think next year, I think is going to be the one that I start beekeeping. Uh, I'm going to attempt it next year. I think it's, uh, I think this year I'm going to have, I'm going to have like enough money saved up and get myself in a good position. And then I think next year I'm going to start it, but that's, um, that's awesome, man. I, it's to get your, like, it kind of rounds it out too for like bees are, I, I find bees are kind of like the essential thing that every, that every farm should have. Mm-hmm. Um, because it helps it like you, you get honey and honeycomb and everything else, but you also get the bees that help your plants. So, and your trees and everything else. So it's kind of like, um, I, uh, I call them like uh, nature's best farm worker. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I totally agree. They, uh, they work every day. They don't take time off and, uh, they just, they're just always putting in the work, man. I think that's that's a series. I'm, I was actually talking about bees and kind of their kind of work ethic. I was kind of highlighting um, wanting to do kind of a little blog or segment for the farm um, on our Instagram, kind of about the unsung heroes of the farm world. And I feel like that's totally our bees, our earthworms, and all the mycorrhizal fungi in the soil like three you know three elements that you know these farms would not exist without without those (laughs) yeah well well they can but uh they can survive without those if you're factoring in synthetic chemicals but uh that's not really my bag and uh not really what i think uh this world needs so i don't like i don't like to include that one but there's a lot of people out there that think that's the solution (laughs) It's, I'm, I'm sick of synthetic chemicals and all this other stuff. It was, it's, um, it's pretty insane. <laughs> Just the, the kind of like how that's how it's something that people go for is like the over chemicals over something natural. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe is um, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Mark Shepard's book, uh, restoration agriculture. I've heard of it. Yeah. It's, um, how is it it's that's a great book it's like an awesome he's just a whiz like he just has such a good forward thinking kind of mindset about really just building a farm like building an ecosystem with like long term in mind like i mean he's on his farm you know he has planned out hedgerows and trees and varying layers to his farm that like five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years down the road are still going to be like growing and providing and building this just like biosphere. It's, it's awesome. I can't recommend it enough. Um, He's a super smart dude and he he had such a great he had a lot of great points in the book but one that always stuck with me was that you know he kind of talked about the soil and kind of modern day agriculture and kind of kind of in a way was saying how you know it's we've turned to chemicals in agriculture not because our soil is inherently infertile. Like, it's not like we can not grow food. It's that we've killed off all of our natural systems so much to the point that we've had to turn to 
science and chemicals because we've gotten to the point where that's the only stuff that works. Yep. But, you know, as, as now we're seeing more and more people really pushing, you know, regenerative agriculture and other carbon sequestration properties. And, you know, it's, it's becoming more and more popular and, you know, things like no-till gardening is becoming huge. Um, I know you're a big podcast guy, uh, and I know we talked about a lot of different shows. Um, but I don't know if you ever listened to uh, Jesse Frost. He's called the uh, the No-Till Market Gardener podcast. Oh, I did not uh, hear that one. Uh, oh, so I'll, I'll, there's another rabbit hole for you. Um, he's got a podcast. I listen to it all the time. Uh, yeah, it's the No-Till Market Gardener podcast. He's He's got a book coming out in July, I think, through Chelsea Green. Um, looking forward to that. Um, but he interviews all these uh, other kind of no-till or low-tillage people. And it's a great it's a great podcast. It's been super informative and it's really nice to see like a lot of people on a small scale really pushing, you know, kind of this no-till regenerative ag, which really is just like, you know, low machinery, not disrupting the soil. And you can just see the difference, like in your earthworms, in the color of your soil. Like it just seems those practices are just so obvious, you know? Yeah. Like, like I've been implementing, like we've been doing since I've been back at the farm this year. Um, we have done hardly any tilling. Um, I just tilled this new field because it was still kind of new and grassy um, for some strawberry plants that are getting put in. But otherwise we've been broad forking everything, um, adding compost, adding nutrients and, you know, using mulch and I realized like we, we did a little mulch in the hoop house and we overwintered it. And so half the bed was leaks that we overwintered. We put straw down and then the other half, which was tomatoes, I believe um, we pulled the tomatoes up, up in the fall and then we didn't do anything else. We didn't cover it. We didn't, you know, till it in. We didn't do anything. And just prepping that other half of that bed that didn't get covered with straw or anything like I just felt it was so hard packed. There's hardly any earthworms. And then that bed of leeks, every time I pull leeks out, it comes out a so easily. And there's also just like, so there's tons of earthworms on the roots, like handfuls, like every single time. So it really, I mean, the no-till kind of movement and regenerative ag, like rebuilding that soil biology is so, so critical. And yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of people are realizing it. It's, I think it's easier right now, honestly, just like for smaller scale people to do it. Um, bigger scales on larger scales can be sometimes kind of tough, but you know, there's still ways to use machinery and, cover crop and roller crimpers and you know there's a way for larger scale people to do it um i think ray 
Ray Archuleta is a, a guy who's really big in regenerative ag. And he's pushing a lot of cover crops and kind of like low tillage stuff. Um, so he's doing a lot of great stuff there. Um, but yeah, man, it's a lot of info out there. Like I said, Jesse Frost, the no-till market gardener, is, his is kind of great because he talks to a lot of growers who were like, you know, they're on like, some of these people are on like an eighth of an acre or a quarter of an acre or, you know, what growing on less than an acre. So it's, yeah, it, it's kind of nice to see people utilizing what space they have and kind of working off of the work of uh, like JM40A's The Market Gardener. Yeah, I love, um, I actually listened to his, uh, one of the things that I was doing um, at, my, at, the, at the other job was we always had, we, we always had headphones in. So we were always listening to this stuff and I got into audiobooks and I listened to his book on audiobook and then I bought the book because I had to reread it just to oh, save yeah. that info, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's on my, uh, it's on my Ottoman because, uh, yeah, I've been, this is my third time going back through it and reading it. And um, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a refresher, but also like a, a, a reintroduction because like I said, I've kind of been out of farming full time for a few years. Um, it's amazing how much stuff you forget. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like just simple stuff that I that I do that I'm just like, oh shit, why did I do that? I'm like, oh yeah, and it's like kind of frustrating, you know, in a way. Like it's it's like I'm making the same mistakes over. Um, but yeah, I'm rereading his book right now. He's uh, yeah, he's really the he's really kind of pushed the kind of the market gardening kind of movement and the smaller scale uh, people. So it's great to see people kind of taking his work and running with it. Um, yeah. Like I said, the Jesse Frost podcast, uh, I can't recommend that one enough. Like that one's been super, uh, that one's been super helpful and super knowledgeable for people wanting to grow on a smaller scale. Um, it's, it's great. So a lot of great, a lot of great resources out there. I find it's, it's almost too much sometimes <laughs> like JM, JM48, like he did like a master class. Um, you could do a master class with JM48, which I do, but was also, I think it's also like a couple grand, I think, to take it. Yeah. And I'm here, like, hmm, like, do I want to buy irrigation for my farm this year or do I take this master class? So yeah, irrigation uh, is, irrigation was key. So I ordered irrigation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I actually got gift. Um, they one of my mother's friends is um, a lot of um, a lot of people like my a lot of my mother's friends and um, a lot of uh, my family members have gotten into gardening and that stuff because of COVID and everything else. And um, a lot of them lost their jobs and they was always home. And you know they kind of hit me up and they're like asking me some gardening questions. But one of them, um, my mother's friend, got. Uh, a master class from this guy, um, the Gorilla Gardener, I think his name is, and he's out of. I think he's in. Uh, I want to. He he's in California, and oh, that's um. Uh, I forget his uh, name. I know who you're talking about. The uh, yeah, he's like the Gorilla Gardener. He's always like, let's grow some shit. 
Yeah, in 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 a TED talk and everything too. Um, oh, it's bugging me. I know. Not. Oh, let me see. Let me see. If I can pull it out of here. Uh, Masterclass. It, uh, Ron Finley. Ron Finley. Yep. Yeah. So I um I still got the coupon. I still have to take it. Um, it's uh. It, but it looks pretty – I mean, he – it's it's definitely, like – I feel like for us that people that have, have like, been have been doing it for a while, um, we know most of the stuff. But it's, like, he still has some, like, really cool shit that he – like, from just from the trailer that I saw, like, he – I never knew this, but he took – I mean, it seems simple enough, but he took these drawers that nobody uses, these, like, um, dressers and that stuff, mm-hmm. and he took the drawers from it. And he made raised beds out of the drawers. Nice. That's awesome. Like, I, I would have never thought of that. And it's kind of like, and he's like, just this this stuff. But I'm like, I never got why the master classes were so expensive. Yeah. I, like I said, I feel like, um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's super knowledgeable. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I think um, a lot of people have kind of moved into those master classes. I think like with COVID, yeah, like just as like more like online learning and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean those classes are great. I I would like to maybe sign up for more of that stuff in the future. Um, uh, I'm I'm doing like a like I, I'm actually doing like a weekly apple growing course um, through this guy Mike Bolton from know your roots farm um linda hoffman the owner of orchard she kind of directed me to him we're doing like a 20 week long kind of course on fruit growing and everything from soil biology to kind of biodynamics and ipm and we just had a class on raising uh like incorporating animals and livestock into your orchard and fruit growing so I think the online, especially now with Zoom and access to so much information, it's uh, it's kind of nice. You don't have to drive all this way to go get info from this one farmer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so all that stuff is great. This class has been super cool. Um, he only charged a fraction of the cost of what uh, like JM40As is. Um, but you know, and I always tell people like, you know what, all those classes are great. You can learn a ton from them, but at the same time, when it comes to farming, like the best teacher is just getting on a farm and doing it and getting your, getting your hands in some dirt, um, you know, interning with places like people that people that want to get into it, you know, you could read as much as you want, but you know certain you really stuff out there. yeah i mean you know it's like certain stuff might sound great in a book but you might try to implement it on your farm and realize like you know what like this just doesn't work for my system or my soils type isn't the same as this farmer's so yep. yeah you really just got you got to get out there and learn and i uh we had a couple friends over for dinner on this past weekend and we're i was just walking them around the farm and you know, they kind of like, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh yeah, like we want to do this. We want to live off the land. We want to, you know, we'd love to do this. This would be great. And I just kind of was like, well, like 
come up here and put in some hours. Like, <laughs> like you gotta, you know, I just filled up this field. I've spent weeks like picking rocks out of this field. Sometimes that's the grunt end of it that you gotta do. Like I got compost dropped off of my house. The guy dropped it off in the wrong spot. So I spent half a day just moving it. And it's like, you know, it's, it's definitely, as you know, it's not all uh, like the mice eating the feet out of the chicken coop. It's not all, uh, yeah. It's not all unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, definitely takes a special kind of person to, uh, to do it. Um, and kind of like, um, that's the word I'm looking for. It's, you really need, I find the people that really like, I've seen people try to get into gardening and farming and, um, they i've seen people like thrive in it and i've seen people like you know this isn't for me and like just quit and i'm like it really oh what's the word i'm for you it's you the people that really want to get into it will will we'll find a way to work like we'll find a way to work in like try to get experience in the in the in farming kind of thing or like or experience like guard like trying to get um like any type of growing experience possible. And that's kind of like how I met, I got into like uh, how I met Chris. It was like, I, I was, you know, I was a farm intern at native community farm. And I'm like, you know, and, and they were like, yeah, we're done for the season. And I'm like, all right, do you know anybody? Like, is there, is there another farm I could go to? Like, can I still help out? And they're like, yeah, you can still volunteering that stuff. But, and they're like, yeah, but if you want to work, you know, Chris Yoder. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I'm like, uh, and I kind of went over to his farm and that stuff. So it was, um, he's kind of like the community, you know, like I, the community is like really great. Uh, mm-hmm. is, you know, farming has a really great community and I feel like they always try to help people out. Yep. No, it's, yeah, it's so true. And as you know, Yoder's, Yoder's done a great job. Like the community that's at Vanguard is, uh, it's awesome. It's just, always a in, a in a in a good way of saying it kind of like a ragtag group of farmers <laughs> but yeah i've it's, i've it's learned great. so much yeah I, it's like just my even my um what is the first year i worked with him i only worked the fall and then i came back in the uh last year and um it was i think i've learned my schooling has taught me a lot but I think I've learned a little bit more from working with Yoder <laughs> mm-hmm. because of just the experience that he's gone through. And like what you guys, like, you, like you taught me so much, even like uh, with uh, the tomatoes, like when we were doing, when we were picking tomatoes and we were just having our conversations and that stuff, I'm like, that's kind of like that. That's the best. Like when you can actually learn from people in the field. Yep. hundred percent, man. Like I said, I think that that experience and just getting out there and, like I said, really just putting your hands in the dirt, like that's when it comes to farming, that's that's the best teacher. Like, you know, learn. Don't be afraid to make the mistakes. Learn from your mistakes and, you know, everyone makes them and just keep trying new things. And, you know, it's the, the crazy world of farming is nothing. No two seasons are ever the same. So, yeah, even even Yoder can attest like he definitely doesn't do the same things every single year. Like <laughs> you got to learn to pivot and you got to learn to make things work. And um, 
yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's always it's always very fulfilling, yet also very like anxiety filled at the same time. <laughs> yeah, like when you're running, when you're having to run your own farm and kind of handle everything, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm glad to glad to be in it. It's uh, it's great. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, so we're we're running actually over an hour. Um, I didn't want to take up too much of your time. Um, because uh, no I know you're busy, but um, no worries. I always like to, this was good. Yeah, so I always like to like wrap up an interview with like if you have um with two things, like if you have any questions for me, or if there's anything else you wanted to like discuss or anything else, and also if you had one tip for a new gardener or farmer, what would it be? Uh, one tip. Um, trying to think. I think I think there's so many good tips. Um, <laughs> I would just say, uh, kind of like what I just said before, um, don't uh, just try new things and uh, don't get don't get discouraged. Um, like you said, people that try it and just kind of like quit, it's you're gonna make you're gonna make mistakes. Some plants aren't gonna make it. Some plants are you know, not as resilient, whatever, but it's the more you get into it and the more you try it, the more fulfilling it'll be when you're finally like, holy shit, like I grew this, like this is amazing. Um, so I just feel like don't be afraid to, you know, make mistakes and just try stuff out and have fun with it. You know what I mean? Like there's always, you know, there's always more time to try new stuff. And there's also always next year. Um, if, uh, you know, one of your crops doesn't make it, but, um, yeah, I think just trying new stuff and, um, you know, eventually it'll all kind of get put up in the, the memory bank and, um, you'll kind of remember that stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I have, uh, I guess for you, Richie, uh, so you said you have lang you said you have lang hens, right? Yeah. Where do you uh where do you usually get your birds from? Where do you order them from? So um I go to I don't like to do the USPS because I always um or like I, I don't like to ship them because I always heard like these horror stories of people getting birds from USPS and them like not delivering them on time or stuff happening to it. Um, so I go to uh, Sweet Meadow Feeding Grain in Sherborne. Okay. Um, they uh, they had some hens there. And then uh, that's where I got my silver la uh, lace. I have silver lace. Y I have three silver lace wide on dats. And then I have uh, two New Hampshire reds. And the two New Hampshire reds I actually got from uh, Waltham feed and grain which is now i think called agway in waltham um those two were part of my original flock that i had um i uh they're probably my oldest ones they're about two years yeah they're two years now um and those uh yeah they're all really good i get um it's definitely starting to pick up now um since this uh the spring, the spring's coming and that stuff. I'm probably getting around, um, 
yeah, I'm getting around five eggs per uh, uh, five eggs per day, four or five around there. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. and it um, they definitely pump them out. So when you uh, when it definitely gets going, you're not going to have a short supply of eggs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that's why. Like I said, I've kind of been hesitant to just do the egg layers for right now, just because. Well, a part of me would like to have a little bit of an off season, and yeah. Uh, once the orchard's done, it'd be like, oh, it'd be kind of nice just to like go into winter with not a lot going on. Um, but yeah, I think, and also out here in Harvard, like there's so many like people out here that just have chickens and just have eggs for sale, like at the end of their driveway, like all the time. So yeah. I feel like, I feel like there's no shortage of eggs out here for me personally, but in the future, I'd like to get I'd like to get some egg layers because, um, you know, we have a self-pay farm stand at the farm that I could just move any of my eggs over there and they would sell like easily. So I'm moving in that direction of chickens, but like I said, I just uh, not enough not enough damn time in the day, Richie. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'm definitely feeling that now. It's. Uh, yeah, it's it's insane i'm uh yeah it's it's definitely um definitely looking forward to when uh to getting more time to do farming and that stuff that that'd be awesome to get just to um but we, we really need like a time extender or something like if like just i don't know like I, i've seen farmers work out in the fields at night but i'm like no one wants to be working out and pitch black dark outside and that stuff no one wants to be doing that but sometimes it's you need to and it's crazy yeah and uh i guess that's a i guess for so that my tip for the new gardener my i guess my tip for um if people are into farming or have been doing farming for a little while kind of speaking about that and what you just said um one thing i've been trying to push next door at the farm is uh really trying to uh, making sure you kind of plan your day out to kind of have like a solid end time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like farming is, you do hear those stories of people working, you know, 60, 70 hours and crazy hours all the time and working at night and working during the day. And, you know, you'll just burn yourself out so quick that I feel like for, farmers for people who are either just getting into it or have been doing it for a little while and are trying to run their own farms like trying to find that little bit of balance of you know what work work the long days you know during the week or something but try to just like set some time and be like you know what like three o'clock on you know, Saturday, be like, you know, whatever it is, I'm only working till three and I want to spend time with my family or my partner or see friends or something. Um, I feel like too often farmers and people that are just in it, just, uh, you know, they just work, 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 work. And there it's obviously farming. So there's a lot to do and there's always more that needs to be get done, but I've tried uh, with next door to try to uh, rein in my hours a little bit. Um, I still put in the super long days and have been working next door almost every day, sometimes just going over to water or something. But uh, 
even then just having like a set time and being like, you know what, tomorrow, no matter what I'm leaving at this time. And uh, that's huge. I think more people got to try to implement that into their day and have a bit more balance in their life. You know? Yeah. Well, it was great talking with you, man. I uh, definitely um, learned a lot and I'm definitely going to check out those podcasts and books you mentioned. Um, I was taking notes on it, so I'm definitely going to check those out. Cool. Thanks, Richie. Yeah, no, man, it was great talking. So then, so with this podcast, do you, do you have this up somewhere? Like, is this on any streaming services or anything? Yeah. So it's called Overgrowth and it's on, I, so I, I use this free podcasting um, recorder called Anchor and uh, it's, it's it, it, it goes to Spotify first and then within like nine hours of it being up on Spotify or something, it goes to all the other ones like Overcast, Google Podcasts and that stuff. Um, I actually had, um, I started doing interviews recently because I, I started the podcast and I was like, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It kind of started as me kind of like giving like farm and my farm and garden updates and that stuff. And I'm like, it would be cool because farmers don't really get a lot of recognition. Um, so I thought it would be cool to interview local farmers and local people that farm and garden and um, just work with the land. And um, I had on, I'm trying to get Yoder on, I know, but, but he's a busy dude. So I'm maybe <laughs> working out something later. Um, but yeah, I don't I got, know. I don't know if he has a smartphone either. Now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the other thing too. I was thinking about. I'm like, I'm probably gonna have to go to the farm, and I'm like, I, I live so close, which is fine. But I'm like, yeah. Uh, there's another. Um, who did I have on? I had on Emily. Uh, you know Emily from Yoders, right? Yep, I know Emily. Yeah, I had her on. Um, I had. Uh, do you know Margo? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. Yeah. So she. Um, she was last week's episode. This this episode is going to come out on. Let me look at this uh, calendar. It's going to come out on the fifth. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So, um, and then I'll remind you before too. I'll send you like a link to it um, the night before. It usually comes out at twelve. Uh, usually comes out midnight on Wednesdays. So um, yeah. So that work. I had her on, and then I had another guy. Um, Dylan is his name from. Uh, uh, from Vanguard and two. Um, uh, yeah. What else? Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd recommend uh, if you've, uh, I don't know if you remember uh, if you worked with Chris and Mariko over at Yoder's. Yes, I have. Um, I, I never had their contact information. They are, do they have an email that you could like send to me afterwards or? Yeah, I can text you. I have their numbers. Um, they have their Instagram. It's a uh, Mad Haven Farms, but I'll text. I'll text that info to you. Uh, yeah, I go. I talk with them every once in a while. They actually just had a. Uh, they just had some baby goats. Um, they had eight baby goats just born like a couple weeks ago. So oh, I've wow. been obs- I've been obsessing over their uh, over their baby goat content on their Instagram. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're uh, they're doing it in Sherborne, man. They're building an awesome homestead. They've got the chickens. They've got the goats now. Um, so they're really doing awesome stuff. Um, Mariko is really uh, really knowledgeable and really 
knows a lot, um, pretty well versed in all the literature and stuff. So I feel like they'd be, uh, she'd probably be a good person to talk to. And if you wanted to chat with them, I could send you their info or, um, I'll send you their Instagram and, uh, you could message her if you want. Yeah, definitely. That'd be great. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I was like going through my list and, um, yeah, of like people that I know that do farming and gardening. And I'm like, I, uh, I probably have enough for like a couple episodes, but I'm like, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for people to interview. So that'd be great. Yeah, man. That's uh, definitely some people I'd recommend chatting with. Awesome. Well, I'll let you go. You probably, you probably have a lot of stuff to get doing and that stuff. Um, so <laughs> always, 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 man. But no, this was a, this was a nice, uh, reprieve this was uh this was fun i've never done a podcast so it was we'll interesting to, to... yeah man this would be great it was nice to be on one instead of uh i mean i just listened to podcasts all day about farming so to be able to talk about it is uh was a different uh different perspective <laughs> so i appreciate you reaching out richie yeah no problem all right, all right. Richie, talk to you soon man all right same here later all right.